I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Uh, Joining me today is James J. Sexton, author and trial attorney. His new book is How to Stay in Love, Practical Wisdom from an Unexpected Source. With two decades on the front lines of divorce, James Sexton has seen what makes formerly happy couples fall out of love and lose the plot of the story they were writing together. Now he reveals all of the what-not-to-dos for couples who want to build and consistently work to preserve a lasting, loving relationship. He tells the unvarnished uh, unvarnished truth about love and marriage, diving straight into the most common issues that often arise from simple communication problems and relationships that developed by default instead of design. He's been negotiating and litigating high-conflict divorces for two decades and has been featured on NPR, Good Morning. America, ABC Nightline, and many more. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you. Actually, nice to have you back, James. Oh, it's great to be back. I had a great time last time, and I I really couldn't wait to be back with you again. Terrific. Okay, so yes, last time we were discussing your book, If You're in My Office, It's Already Too Late. So now we're going to be talking about what we actually can do to stay in love. Now, Staying in love, as we kind of talked a little bit before we got on the air, was it's very difficult. Relationships are always evolving, um, and people get into big trouble. And what they don't really design or maybe don't even have the capability of designing how they want to see things going forward. So what do we do? You're very specific in this book, very practical. How do we stay in love? And what what do we do and what do we don't do? Yeah, you know, it's actually, I, th- I like the way you phrase that, because I, I think it really is what, what we don't do. You know, it, it, happiness feels to me very hard to define. And, and if I was defining it, I would define it as the absence of, of unhappiness. Um, just like, you know, my mother used to say that, you know, she, she couldn't tell you what intelligence was, but she could spot stupid a mile away. And, and I think that's, that's really what we're looking for in our marriages. We're not looking just to keep marriages. We're looking to have, you know, vibrant, healthy, happy marriages where we're satisfied. And so, you know, if I had to summarize my, my book in, in, you know, a, a couple of words, it would just be, you know, pay attention. It really is about paying attention to the little things, because I really believe we fall in love very quickly and we fall out of love somewhat slowly. And, and just like uh, Tom Wolf said in The Bonfire of the Vanities, he was talking about how people go bankrupt financially. And he said, everyone goes bankrupt the same way, very slowly, and then all at once. And I think that that's what happens with love, is that we, we, we very slowly fall out of love, and then some big marriage killer like infidelity or you know financial issues really blows it up. But it's, it was blown up before. And so really this book, this, this second book, was really intended to just talk about um, you know, real practical things people can do to try to, to keep their connection to each other when they're in a healthy and happy relationship or when they're out, you know, looking to start a healthy, happy relationship. I, I happen to believe that it's a whole lot easier, uh, if, to, to use a metaphor, you know, if you, if you can maintain a healthy weight, that's an easier thing to do than gaining a ton of weight and then having 50 pounds you had to lose. Yeah, and I think by well, the time I want to ask speak, James, yeah, but yeah. just taking you back a little bit, most people or many people, and I don't know what the statistics are, obviously you probably do, but people live together before they get married. And they seem to do pretty well when they're living together, um, depending how long that is. Then they get married and things change. Yeah. Why is that? Well, I think there's a number of reasons. I mean, one, I, I think it's a, it's a question of expectations. I think that people 
um, believe that, that the act of getting legally married may have some discernible effect on their relationship, meaning that they're just, by the fact that they've entered into this legally binding contract, that somehow it's going to fix things that might not have been working in the relationship, or it may uh, uh, keep the relationship completely uh, as it stands. You know, So if they're having a good relationship, they go, oh, the fact that we're getting married means that you know, it'll always be this way and it'll always be good. And I think that's unrealistic. Um, but I also think, too, marriage is just something that people tend to do. And, and, you know, whether they got married or not, the relationship would still have the challenges that every relationship has. I mean, this book happens to be talking a lot about marriage because I'm a divorce lawyer, so I, I tend to meet people who are married um, or who have children in common. But I and think you've been divorced. And you've been divorced. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm what I describe as happily divorced. My, my ex-wife and I have been divorced for 13 years, and, and we have a wonderful relationship. We have two uh, great sons, one of whom is in his first year of law school and the other one's a junior in college. And, um, you know, they, we, we've had a great time co-parenting them together. She's incredibly happily remarried to a wonderful guy who, if you met him and met me, you would say, oh, yeah, that guy's perfect for her. And that other guy probably isn't. <laughs> is not. Uh, and and, and, and my, my ex-wife would say to you very candidly that, that I was not a great husband for her, but I'm an incredibly great ex-husband and that I'm consistent and reliable and supportive and, and, and have been a dear friend. I consider my ex-wife, you know, one of the great loves of my life, and I consider her one of my best friends to this day. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I think that I, I, don't, I don't believe that divorce has to be a bad thing. I think that, that, that divorce can be a, a, an indicator of the fact. There's a lot of people I love I wouldn't want to be married to. There's 7.3 billion people in the world, and I'm sure uh, I could love a lot of them, but whether or not I could love them to the point where we could have a happy, fulfilling marriage for the rest of our lives, I'm, I'm really not sure. You know? Could we take let, your book and, let's say, the do's and don'ts of, ha- of, of mm-hmm. th- what not to do so that you can remain in a loving relationship and apply it to you? What could have happened? Okay, you've been divorced for, what did you say, 12 or 13 years? And yeah, about 13 what, years, sure. Okay, so when when you got married, because I always mm-hmm. and what were the things that you could have done and applying it to the do's and don'ts sure. of your book, the practical wisdom. Um, yeah. What could you have done differently, or what should well, you have funny. done? I think could the you book have actually it is in some ways is informed by my own experiences. It, it it really talks about. I was talking a lot about what I've observed of my clients, but I was also talking a lot about the things that I did wrong as a, as a married person, or that I that I could have done better. Um, I mean, I married uh, my college sweetheart. We met when we were 17. We married when we were 22. We had kids by the time we were 24. So, you know, of course, we changed dramatically, as you do in your in your mid-20s, uh, you know, in your 30s. Um, and, and we lost the plot of the story we were writing together. We lost our connection to each other. She was very focused on, you know, raising our sons. I was very focused on building my career as a lawyer. Um, and, and we really very slowly lost our connection to each other. Now, that's not to say, and I, I don't believe my, my ex-wife or I would ever say that if we'd maintained that connection, um, we would have stayed happily married. I think we eventually came to the conclusion that we're very different people and we want very different things out of our lives. But, but you know, aside from being very careful in choosing your spouse, which I think is always the best thing to do, you know, um, if you if you can't do that and you want to preserve a loving relationship, actually, a, a lot of the techniques that I advocate for in my book, my ex-wife and I have employed in our communications with each other as 
exes as co-parents, you know, raising children, you know, in a, in a, a post-divorce situation. And that is communicating clearly in, in really practical ways. Um, you know, people talk a lot about, oh, you should communicate better. But, but I, you know, a lot of times they don't tell you what that means. And so I really try in this book to be very, very practical in how to communicate with someone and, and how to communicate in a loving relationship with someone in a way that's actually going to get you what you want. James, okay. I guess my next question is, you, you said you were married, uh, you've been mm-hmm. divorced for 12 or 13 years, but yeah, I want to yeah. connect the book to your own marriage. Like what, how sure. can we, if let's say when you first got married, what could you mm-hmm. have done differently? Like the advice you're giving us in your book, the do's and the don'ts that may or may not have saved your marriage? Well, you know, what's interesting is I actually think if I'd followed the techniques in my book, which were informed in part by my own experience uh, of my own marriage, I probably would have got divorced sooner. Um, My my ex-wife and I are very dear friends. We've raised two amazing sons uh, together, one of whom is in law school and the other one's a junior in college. And we've We've stayed very close. She's very happily remarried to a great guy who I'm very happy to call a friend now as well. And I I think if we'd communicated honestly and openly earlier in the marriage and in the very practical ways I talk about in the book, we would have realized sooner that that we really weren't well suited for marriage. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people in the world I love that I wouldn't want to be married to. And my ex-wife is one of them, and she'd say the same about me. She loves me. I love her. We have a great affection for each other. We have a deep friendship and and protection of each other, but we're just not well-suited for the very specific combination of things that is a marriage. So, But I do think that that some of the tools that I talk about in the book about really fearless, open communication, some of the specific techniques I talk about using things like email to, to you know, um, openly share in a, in a way that's not going to create defensiveness in your partner, um, asking tough questions, you know, talking openly about relationship and sexual issues, um, you know, realizing that, that if you're not meeting your partner's needs, they're going to either go without or go elsewhere. Um, and that really, you know, if we'd had those discussions, I think early on, we, we probably would have come to the same conclusion, but it would have been in a much less painful and confusing way while it was going on. I think we would have probably found that much sooner. So I, I really think that, you know, the divorce rate being about 53% um, to me is not the most important statistic. I mean, it's a scary thing. 53% of marriages end in divorce, especially if we think about what, another 10, 20% that stay together for the kids or for financial reasons. So if you've got something that fails 63, 73% of the time, you have to ask yourself, you know, what are we doing wrong as a culture and as people? And I, I really do think that, that the marriage satisfaction rate is really what we should be looking at. How many people really just want to be married and how many people want to be happily married? You know, that's the thing. I don't want to just be married to be married. I want to be happily married. It's very, that's true. I think people do want to be happily married, but I think one of the things that you just said that's really key is being able to pay attention to what is happening in your marriage and then say, and and that's what we seem to get away from, I think, so that you can apply. I I think you're absolutely right. I mean, look, whoever discovered water, it wasn't a fish. You know, I think when you're in something, you you don't see it clearly. And, and, And that's one of the challenges of marriage is that you're, you're in the marriage and you're trying to see the marriage and you really can't see the marriage clearly unless you make a mindful, conscious effort to, to use specific tools and techniques to look at the marriage and talk about the marriage. And that's what I talk about in the book is just the idea that 
we really need to have a mindfulness in our marriages and an attentiveness to our marriages to ourselves, meaning our own emotional state. You know, how happy are we? Where do we have areas where we're dissatisfied? How do we share that with our partner? Um, and that's exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about in the book is just how do we talk about those things? How do we talk about the raindrops before they become the flood? What do you say to couples who find it very difficult, who perhaps are not people who, yes, they want to be aware of what's happening, but they, they're not, it, it's difficult for them to communicate, to express their feelings. How do they kind of jump yeah. into it? I think some people are much more, let's say, well, you're a trial attorney. I would say you should, you're somebody yeah. who's going to be talking. I'm a social worker. Yeah. I'm used to listening and talking, but not everybody, right. you know, is in that mindset. So what do they yeah. do? How do yeah. they do it? Yeah. I think that's a great question. I, th I think the first thing you do is you have a conversation about how to have the conversation. I, I, you know, it, it astounds me that, that for most couples, they learn how to fight with each other while they're in a fight. You know, rather than at the beginning of the relationship where, where there's an abundance of goodwill or at a happy moment in the relationship where there's optimism and goodwill, saying to each other, hey, look, I love you. I feel happy right now. I'm not angry at you about something. I'm not holding something in. But you know what? There's going to come a time we're going to disagree. We're going to have different point of views. Or maybe I'm going to get angry at you or you're going to get angry at me. When that happens, how do we do it? Like, are you somebody who needs a minute? Are you somebody who likes to talk things out before we go to bed and get it done? Or are you somebody who shouldn't be talked to at night about something they're upset about? Are you somebody that needs some time to reflect? Should I send you an email that says, look, here's what I'm upset about so that you can read it, reflect on it, reread it a few times, formulate your thoughts and not have to respond defensively. Because if you, if you immediately say to someone, oh, this is something you're doing that's upsetting me or this is something you did that upsets me, you're putting them on the spot. It's really hard to say like, oh, well, we'll talk about it later. You know, it feels like an act of aggression to say that or like you're pushing it off. So having a conversation about how you communicate is huge. I think it's totally fair to say, hey, Listen, I'm a good communicator. I'm ready for a talk anytime. I speak extemporaneously. But, you know, why not say to your partner, if you're not that person, hey, look, I'm, I'm not great at that. And I want to be better at it. But I, and I want to preserve my connection to you. But I just I'm not great with talking. So what's how do we do this when I'm upset at you? How, how can I get you aware of that? Because the step you talked about, which is how do you talk to your partner, is the second step. I think that the big issue identified uh, in one of my chapters is. One of the big problems is we don't know what we want. We don't know what we're really feeling. And then we don't know how to communicate it to our partner. So those are two separate struggles. But once you've identified what you're feeling, what you're thinking, and you've identified it clearly, and you realize it's not just a passing cloud that's going to be gone in a little while, that's the hard part is, is how do you convey it to your partner? Topics that we're going to be talking about that, that we apply th this way of communicating, I say, the big ones, money, sex, kids. Well, I think money, sex, and kids are all, I'll, I'll take those in turn. So I think money and kids are two things that are very antagonistic to marriages. That's not to say we don't love our children. That's not to say that it's not worth having children. But I think we can all agree that, that work and finance, as well as children, put strain on people and put strain on marriages. They take your attention away from each other. They take your, you know, they, 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 they can be stressful for people. Um, sex, I think sex is the glue. I think sex is the thing that makes a married couple different than roommates. Um, and so I think it's important to people in varying degrees. And I think being clear with your partner about what you want and need and desire is a huge thing. I mean, sex, 
I have a whole chapter where I talk about how I think couples with really great intentions screw up their own sex lives. Because to, to put it briefly, to summarize it briefly, I think when you first enter into a sexual relationship with someone, you, you throw everything you've got at that relationship. You do every, every move you know. You do everything you could possibly try. And then what happens in a healthy relationship? You see what your partner likes and what they don't like. And you see what they really like. And so what do you do? You, you play the greatest hits. And you play the greatest hits. You know, Bruce Springsteen comes out. He plays Born to Run. He plays Born in the USA. I mean, you want to hear those songs? He knows the crowd loves him, so that's what he plays. But then what starts to happen is you realize, you know, we're just doing the same things over and over again. But now, if we do something different, our partner's going to notice and say, hey, what, what's going on with that? Why did we do something different there? You always do this and you didn't do it, or you did something different. And we're afraid of that discussion, and we're afraid of that feeling of our partner going, hey, why did you do something different than you usually do? So I, I really talk about techniques that I think couples can, you know, do where they can communicate better with each other about, about their own sexual needs and do it in ways that don't feel like a criticism. You know, one of the big problems I think in marriages is there's a lot of constructive criticism. You either have to keep things in an unsatisfied way or you have to find a way to, you know, we are encouraged to constructively criticize our, our spouse. But constructive criticism is still just criticism. And nobody likes being criticized, you know, even if it's constructively done. We want our, our partner, our spouse, to be our cheerleader. So I talk a lot about techniques in the book about how to kind of use behavior modification with your spouse, how to use, how to use uh, uh, positive feedback and positive praise rather than criticism. Okay, give us an example. So, so something like that, I, I give an example from my own personal life and I, I say how I, I, I dated a woman for a while. I'm a lawyer, you know, and, and uh, I, I have to have that lawyer look so I have a very clean shaven face and I wear a suit to work every day. I'm wearing a suit right now. And, you know, um, on the weekends, I really like not having to shave. It's re I really like that I can have a couple days where I don't have to drag a razor across my face. So I was dating a woman, and she really didn't like the stubble. She said it, like, scratched her face. And, and, and when I would go to kiss her or something, she'd go, oh, God, like, I hate that stubble. Like, it's so, you know. And, and it upset me because, you know, immediately my reaction was, well, you know what? I have to shave all week, and this is, like, the two days I don't have to cut my face up. And, you know, don't you understand that? And you know, that's what I thought and felt. It's not necessarily what I said, but it's what I thought and felt. And that relationship didn't work out. And in a subsequent relationship, a woman I was dating, I think had the exact same issue. You know, I have a thick, stubbly kind of face after a day or two. But what she did is one morning I was shaving and she came in just after I'd shaved and she kissed me and she went, oh, I love it when your face is so smooth. Like I just, I can't keep, I can't stop kissing you when your face is so smooth. It just looks so, you look like Gregory Peck in, in you know, and I, I have to tell you, I'd have shaved three times a day from then on because it was presented to me as this is a thing I can do that's going to make this person feel good about me. Now, she could have come in and just said, oh, I hate when you have stubble. And I would have reacted defensively. But instead, she came to it from a place of positivity. She praised the positive instead of the negative. So I talk a lot about ways you can do that in your relationship rather than saying to your partner the things you don't like. We'll talk about praising the opposite you know, and, and, and encouraging the opposite behavior in your partner. And, and I think you're going to see a, a, a difference in how they respond to it. That is such a, it seems like it's such a simple solution. And yet we don't do that. Just, and if, I guess if you keep that in mind, you're giving the example of the, of the stubble and the beard, and you just can really apply that to any situation where you're what something that you don't like about your partner. I mean, keep it on the, try to keep it on the positive. Um, 
it applies yeah, to you can often you can you can do it in a way too that that even if you're just grabbing a nugget of something small if you have a partner for example if you want your spouse to go out and you know, your criticism, I hear this from couples all the time that, oh my God, we never go anywhere. We never do anything anymore. You know, we just sit on the couch. Well, if you go home and say that to your spouse, you know, we don't go anywhere. We just sit around like that. Well, that's a criticism and they're going to be defensive. Whereas if they buy a different kind of waffle that week, you know, and you say, I saw you bought those different waffles, man, I, I love that adventurous side of you that does something different all the time. You know, and, you know, remember, remember when we were first dating, we used to be like, you know, I love that about you. I always love that about you. And even now, like I opened the freezer and I was like, oh, look at this. He bought the different waffles. You know, like, I love that. Like when you do that, that's just so exciting to me. Like we should do more of that. You know, that's a positive thing. And you're really sending the same message, but you're sending it in a, in a much more loving way and in a way that, that, that acknowledges the possibility of positive change in your partner. Let's bring in the children now or the kids, because that's, that's there. That's sure. different. That's obviously a very different kind of topic because it's not sure. just the two of you, it's the children. And sure. those are, that's really sure. high stakes. And you have couples yeah. who come from very different backgrounds. They've in terms of their yeah. own, how they've been parented. Mm-hmm. How, sure. how do you reconcile some of those differences given well, I talk, I talk about a couple of different techniques when it comes to children, but one of the things I do say is having spent a lot of time with divorced people and having been divorced myself, um, I have to say there are certain really wonderful benefits to being divorced with children with someone who's a good co-parent um, that I got to experience myself. Um, I would have you know a weekend where the kids were with me and I could give them my full attention and focus. And then I would have the next weekend that they would be with the only person in the world who loves them as much as I do. And I could really enjoy my life uh, free from children. You know, I could enjoy uh, the adult activities that an adult might want to do. And so why do divorced people have to be the only people who can have that experience as parents? You know, why can't we? I mean, when we met each other very often, we didn't have children together, right? When we met our spouse, we didn't have children in common. So what we fell in love with was a person who was childless and had their own time as an adult and their own life as an adult. So why do we then say, well, you know, if if I can't go out, he certainly shouldn't be able to go out. Why should he have all the fun? Why can't you have something like a custodial schedule inside of a functional marriage and say, Hey, listen, take, take Wednesday nights and go out and be an adult, go out with your friends, go to the Starbucks and just read a magazine, go to a movie, do, do what you like to do, be you. And, and I've got the kids and I'm going to take care of the kids and I'm going to give them my full attention and see if there's a way to sort of mimic those best parts, you know, because there is a lot to be gained from keeping the you, the me and the we somewhat separate. You know, I think a lot of people get married and, and there's the you and the me and then they become the we and they get rid of the you and the me. And I think yeah, I think what happens also they diagram. get they describe it. We you know, we do we are a family. We do everything as a family and sort of adding to what you're saying. It's OK for one of you to go away for a weekend with one of your kids, yeah. just you. And, or, listen, and if you enjoy doing everything as a family and it's fulfilling for all of you then that's a great thing. But if you do it out of a sense of obligation, and if I don't do this, I'm doing it wrong, I don't believe that. Because I think we are doing it wrong. When 53% of marriages are ending in divorce, safe to say we're doing it wrong. So why not do it better? Why not say, you know what, what would this look like if it was easy? What would this look like if it was authentic to what we really want? 
we have one minute left. I could keep going and keep talking to you, but you know, uh, let's get people. This happened to us last time. This happened to us last time. I know. We, we, we could have gone on forever. I love exactly. it. I love talking it's, to you. But so let me just mention the book again so people can go out because we've just touched on a few things that are in your sure. book, How to Stay in Love, Practical Wisdom from an Unexpected Source. And we've been talking to author and trial attorney James Sexton. Great to have you on the show again. Uh, have, you have to be, be on the show next time you write your, for your next book. Just quickly give us a website we can go to to more information about you and the book. Sure. You can find out more about me and my media appearances on um, uh, nycdivorces.com. That's plural, divorces, D-I-V-O-R-C-E-S, N-Y-C, like New York City, divorces.com. Great. Thanks so much, James. Have a great day. Thanks so much, Catherine. Yeah. Be well. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. (laughs) 